0: Hi, welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Ontario told to stay at home, but will we? Canada is now on track to surpass the United States in the number of COVID cases relative to population. China tells the U.S. not to boycott the Winter Olympics in Beijing or they'll be in trouble. And is the premier moving to the center with this COVID-19 response? It's all on the way. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML.
1: I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. I want to use my time wisely during this stay at home order. So I'm going to learn how to speak. So why, Healy? It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson.
0: Good afternoon, it is 1210, it is 900 CHML, I'm Scott Thompson, Uh, Will Erskine, back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson home show on the air, Uh, hang on a sec, week number 55, Uh, feel free to jump into the conversation, we would love to hear from you, many ways to do that, Uh, all right, going to play you a piece of uh, the news conference yesterday in regard to... Uh, paid sick leave. Uh, This has been uh, an ongoing issue. We've heard over and over that um, the province should be administering some sort of paid sick leave. Uh, This is on top of, this is a federal government issue. Uh, EI and all of this sort of stuff uh, are all federal government issues. Um but then the, the, that the province calls on the province to do this, and I'm not sure there's any other province that's doing this at this point, but it, I thought it was fascinating today in an interview, uh, former NDP leader Thomas Mulcair, uh saying that uh Doug Ford has a point and a taxpayer is a taxpayer whether it comes from the feds or the governments uh or the federal uh, federal government or the provincial government and uh in the end uh those systems are there they are in place and uh, have been updated and topped up on a regular basis and there's still lots of those funds that are just not being uh addressed to uh, uh from a federal standpoint or uh, from a uh From a user standpoint, haven't jumped on board to 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 take advantage of that. Now, whether if it's because the system's so slow and cumbersome and such, uh, you know, um, uh, there's also complaints and criticism about that. Uh, But I'm not sure the provincial government could do uh, any better a job on administering uh, those sorts of funds, which which really are a, a federal issue. Here's what the premier had to say about that yesterday.
1: And everyone else, because there's a lot of one, a lot of people that are playing politics right now and it's totally irresponsible. They're doing a disservice to the people that they're telling this to. There's paid sick leave from the federal government. And I want to thank the Prime Minister for mentioning that yesterday at his press conference. It's greatly appreciated. Folks, because of all the premiers and the federal government, we negotiated $1.1 billion of sick pay. There is still $750 million available. And to get paid sick days, go online to www.canada.ca slash COVID-19. That's www.canada.ca slash COVID-19. So far, 300,000, that's 300,000 Ontarians have accessed the program already. So to all the opposition and everyone that's preaching about the, the sick days and playing politics, rather than do that, why don't you try to help someone by telling them where they can go? That's a disservice if you tell them anything but that. So I'll, I'll be ready to take uh, questions, Ellie. We'll go to the phone all right. line that was uh... the premier yesterday
0: and the ongoing debate which uh... you know we're still hearing today we're still hearing opposition leaders uh... provincially talk about this and i found it fascinating that thomas malcare basically echoed what the uh... what the premier has just said that this is a federal issue and that the funds are there the federal government has been very generous about that uh... again i'm sure there's lots of obstacles in 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 it in order to get this out the door although they seem to have removed a lot of those um, you know, I, I'm sure it's, 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 not an easy situation to do, but the point is, is that it is there, uh, and this is, uh, a service of the federal government that is being offered and it doesn't appear that it's being taken, uh, advantage of. All right. Uh, let's move forward with all of this and, and, uh, the stay at home order, which is now in place and what that all means. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert. He is with us now, doctor. Thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Same to you, Scott. Thanks for having me. So, first of all, let's talk about uh, the stay at home order, what it means, what's different now, uh, doctor, compared to, say, a week ago.
2: Well, what's different now is that the government is urging everybody to stay at home and only leave for essential services while closing big stores for only curbside and essential goods for purchase. And so, it's pretty much the same of the old, just that they're enforcing it now more stricter measures and saying that please only leave your home. Uh, for essential services, this includes going to the grocery store. This includes exercise outside your home, but close to your home, to buy essential goods, obtaining healthcare items. So, if you need to go see your doctor, you can do that. If you need to go to a financial institution like your bank, uh, if you need to go to a government agency if they are open to receive uh, healthcare or mental health assistance, you can do that. Uh, for the most part, everything else is, you know, basically don't be, you don't go to HomeSense, don't go to IKEA, don't go to the mall. I think that's what they're trying to get at.
0: Will this be enough? You know, I remember during the first wave, it was eerie, and everybody was home. You could walk out your house uh, here in suburbia and not hear any cars on the distant highways. Uh, I go up my front door right now, I can hear the highways. Uh, is this going to be enough?
2: Well, many experts, including myself, argue that, no, this is not going to be enough because we need it to be coupled with many other things like aggressive vaccination plans. And I know you just talked about paid sick leave. And I agree to some extent with what the premier is saying that, you know, the federal government has provided paid sick leave. But the one thing that we all seem to be neglect is that it's one thing to have paid sick leave. It's another thing that employers are willing to respect. Uh, and, and comply to the guidelines. And let me be clear here. You know, you can have the ability to go on the federal government's website and get paid sickly. But then, if your employer is going to use that against you, uh, that's where the difficulty is. Uh, and I think that there is no no conversation or guidance from the government, at least as far as we know, of speaking to employers to say you need to allow uh, and and allow flexibility in individuals taking paid sick leave because a lot of people are worried that if they take paid sick leave because they're the risk of COVID-19 that they might not come back to a job or that there'll be repercussions in their job and so that's part of the conversation that I think needs to happen there.
0: How do you, how do you resolve that issue, uh, doctor? Especially, you know, we're, ha- we're having so much, so many conversations about sick leave. It's brought up. It's been brought up many, many times. How, how come we're not discussing that part of it?
2: Well, I think because we're all focused about getting the money people who need it, and so uh, and now that you know we know that I mean the argument that there's people didn't know that the federal government was providing help is ill-advised. Everybody, I think, knew that there is money for paid sick leave available online. However, there were barriers to accessing it. It wasn't as easy as the premier makes it sound to be. Uh, There are some barriers that need to be addressed along uh, that, and and I think the other big issue is that you know are the is the government having conversations with big Uh, supply chain employers and and people who are hiring the vast people of essential workers to see, uh, are there really any repercussions for anybody that takes a paid sick leave? Because I'll tell you, I've I've spoken to a lot of people that work at those giant manufacturing uh, places or essential workers on the field, and they'll tell you, yeah, that's great, that money is available for paid sick leave, but I'm worried that if I take it, You know, I I will be next in line to get fired. Mm. And so what are we doing to protect those employers? That's, I think, part of the conversation that needs to happen.
0: You know, that's is sadly enough a conversation that happens uh, in or out of COVID-19, a, a global pandemic. You know, I mean, it, it's funny even how attitudes have changed around that lately, where the old days just buck up and go, uh, whereas now it's no, stay at home where well, the rest of us don't want to get sick. So hopefully that message is changing uh, just uh, generally. What about the uh, obviously torqued up vaccination going into hot spots now, 18 plus in those uh, hot spots and teachers all educational workers uh as well starting uh this spring break to get them uh, vaccinated your thoughts on
2: well i mean this answers your previous question what else can be done so the lockdown measures are important let's be very clear about that are they enough no will the majority of people comply with them i doubt it to be quite frank with you i think that people reach the threshold where they you know they've had enough like simply put, they've just had enough. Yeah. What needs to happen in addition to the lockdown measures we're currently in is this idea of vaccinating all essential workers and people who live in hotspots, because we know that that can cr- increase the number of transmission. It needs to go hand in hand. However, Scott, what we don't seem to understand is when is this going to be active? How are people going to register who live in those hotspots? Hamilton being one of those areas, there are certain zip codes, postal codes. In Hamilton, where people are considered hotspot, I think is West Mountain uh, and another specific area in Hamilton. And so people still don't have clarity on where they can go register for a vaccine. uh, But that's going to be very, very effective way to actually get us ahead of
3: this.
0: Uh, As uh, we see more and more uh, become vaccinated, there's been chatter about the border. It doesn't look like that's going to open. The Center for Disease Control in the United States is actually telling Americans not to come to Canada. And it was fascinating. We're seeing uh, an increase in the U.S. despite their mass vaccination. I think uh, 42% of U.S. uh, adults have had at least one at this point. Um, We saw hot spots in Florida, and I guess we were expecting that after seeing what we saw during. During uh, spring break and such, but a lot of the northern states like New York, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, having a a real difficult time. How do you explain that?
2: Well, I think it's just very ironic that we're speaking out about the U.S. banning their citizens to come to Canada. when We were doing that for a year, and I just think how the tables have turned. Uh, Well, the U.S., you know, you have to understand the population is different size wise and the geography is a bit different. So, yes, they might have a rise in numbers now, but they are aggressively vaccinating uh, across the country uh, with massive number of vaccinations uh, happening across all states and all cities. And so they are going to get ahead of this much faster than we will just by virtue of their aggressive plans to make sure that anybody who wants to get vaccinated can. Uh, and so I think that's going to play a big, big factor. And they're probably looking at us now, looking at the numbers, especially on Ontario, where they, you know, and saying that there's a big risk with the variants taking uh, presidents in the country, that Canada right now is considered as an overall, as a country, a hotspot. And so they're urging their citizens not to come here because they don't want to contribute to the already dire situation they have going on. They're just trying to get ahead of what they have uh, and they don't want to make it worse on
0: themselves. Where do you think, and we'll just finish this one with the US and get back to Canada here, but how concerned are you that their relaxing uh, protocol before the vaccination has taken effect? We saw the situation in Texas. We saw what happened in Florida uh, a week or two, a few weeks ago. Uh, are they going to be okay? Are they going to have another issue?
2: I think they're going to be okay, only because I say that because they've been so aggressive since the Joe Biden administration took power of vaccinating as many people as possible and really following very, you know, mass supply of vaccine Mm -hmm. and distribution. I mean, I speak to my colleagues in the U.S. and almost anybody uh, can get vaccinated now in the U.S. Yes, there are issues with appointments and, you know, being backed up, but they don't have an issue with getting people uh, as many people vaccinated as possible. What they might face difficulty in in the U.S. is the variants. And I think that's why they're probably controlling the access to Canada right now. The CDC has allowed its citizens to actually travel and they've been vaccinated with both doses within the country, which is a clear indication that they feel that they can get ahead of this uh, in much faster time span. And Joe Biden has reaffirmed his his stand that, you know, by uh, uh, summertime, most Americans will be able to interact openly. And so I think they're heading in that direction. Time will only tell whether the variants will change their course.
0: Yeah, I remember reading last week that uh, by April 19th, he, he he wants everyone registered for at least their first dose. That, that's by the end, you know, middle of this month, uh, which is incredible. Uh, let's talk about schools. Lots of debate about that. Um, it appears that this new variant is uh, in, with a, with the first wave, second wave, didn't affect the kids too much, but we're more concerned about this variant and children. Accurate.
2: Well, the evidence is clear about schools, which is that, you know, schools are not necessarily a hot spot. So, you know, just to clarify for this, everybody, like, you know, WHO, the World Health Organization, released a very telling report back in October saying when they reviewed all the schools around the world, they saw that actually schools are not a big, big concern. However... The reason why some experts are pushing for schools to be closed in certain hotspots is because of the community rate of COVID-19, not the school rate. And what I mean by that is that let's take, for example, Hamilton Downtown Core. If the community rates of COVID-19 there are high, which means individuals like you and I who live in downtown Core Hamilton uh, have COVID-19 or are exposed to COVID-19 and we have children, then we're bringing that to the school setting, which becomes a vector for the transmission. And staff, you know, we don't live and, you know, students and staff don't just live in the school day in and day out. They go back to their communities. And so mm-hmm. that's where the concern becomes. And that's why you see that only in certain hotspots, Schools are being closed, not overall, because is, there is that evidence that tells us that schools themselves might not be a risk factor. However, where they are located in the community and the rate of COVID-19 in that community is the major risk factor.
0: So your thoughts on uh, Toronto or the, those hot spots appeal closing down before the spring break and do you see us staying out after spring break?
2: Well, I think that you know, as long as the school is in a hot spot there's a high number of COVID nineteen, the likelihood of that school being closed and being closed for a long period of time is eminent. I mean, it's just virtue yeah. of being in that hot spot with community transmission being high and hence why I think that you know, when we talk about community involvement and the idea that everybody has a role to play, this is one way of saying it. You know, we can argue as much as we want schools remain open or closed. is irrelevant. What was really important here is that what are we doing to make sure that schools stay open? And one way we can make sure that schools stay open is that within your own community, try to do your best to really maintain uh, social distancing, public health interventions, because that's one way to actually ensure that schools can remain open.
0: Dr. Ahmad Khalid with us, health policy expert. As always, doctor, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well.
2: Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm declaring a state of emergency with a province-wide stay-at-home order effective 12.01 a.m. Thursday. This will be in fact for four weeks. With a few exceptions, the stay-at-home order will be similar to what we went through earlier this year. To boil it down as simple as possible folks please unless it's for an essential reason please stay home
0: and on that note i'd love to wish a happy birthday to my lovely wife eileen who's celebrating her second birthday in lockdown enjoy the masks honey and that party pack of hand sanitizer go nuts knock it out of the park uh yeah, second one, second one in uh, second of a lot of things I guess. Uh in uh, yeah, during a COVID-19 pandemic. Uh whether it's holidays, birthdays, what have you. It's just the way it is, fact of life. All right, we were chatting earlier uh w- with Dr. Khalid in regard to uh, the borders and, uh, and, and them remaining closed between Canada and the United States. The Center for Disease Control has actually, uh, issued a warning for Americans not to travel to Canada. Uh, remember when it was the other way around? Uh, not so smug now, are we? Uh, so, uh, the other piece of information, uh, coming out of the United States, 42% of the U.S., uh, have been vaccinated by April 19th. April 19th, uh, the president wants everybody, uh, at least registered for their, uh, first vaccination, uh, uh shot. Uh, and on that, Canada is on track to surpass the U.S. in the number of COVID cases relative to population. Let's bring in Dr. Alan Weisman, Infectious Disease Specialist with the University Health Network and is with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Thank you for having me. It seems amazing to a lot of Canadians considering how, uh, how far back America was uh, at the beginning of this pandemic to where they are now. I remember saying on this show months ago, uh, watching the news in the United States was like watching Canada's news six months ago. Now it seems the other way around. H- how, do you, how do you explain from zero to 100 in, in no time?
4: The, the big difference between Canada and United States that explains why we're in reverse positions is the vaccination They had in-house or in-country production of the vaccine, and so they were able to ramp it up and distribute it very quickly, but Canada's not, so we relied on supply from other countries, and due to a variety of reasons, things were delayed or didn't come on time, and things came in as a trickle, and so now we are experiencing the effects of a third wave, whereas in America, they they do have effects of a third wave, but not nearly as bad, and it's more uh, regional than we do in Canada. That's the main reason why we are where we are,
0: Uh, It's amazing. We all saw the shots of the the Texas baseball game against the Blue Jays, and they had literally a full house and not a lot of masking. We remember the uh, Texas officials said they're going to drop the masking law as soon as the vaccination process started. Many were concerned that... Uh, they were dropping the the protocol far too early. We are seeing surges in cases in the United States, in Florida, uh, and then in northern uh, U.S. states. Uh, are you concerned about the uptick there, or is the vaccine uh, the vaccine enough to uh, curtail that?
4: In most parts of the United States, it looks like it is working very well. So, if you look at the Texas as an example, interestingly, when the governor issued the orders to lift everything. Since that time, which was several weeks ago, we, we don't actually see a rise in cases in Texas. So they have done a very good job of vaccination there as well. A lot of young people have already been vaccinated there far, far sooner than Canadians of the same age will end up getting vaccinated. But then as so mentioned, there are. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. There are other parts of the United States that are not doing as good a job where the variants are causing a lot of uh, cases and deaths. And the best example of that is in Michigan, especially in the eastern side of Michigan, where the cases are going out of control there.
0: So you're not concerned about the big baseball game we saw uh, on the weekend?
4: Well, there's a few ways to think about that situation. The first thing to consider is that their vaccination rates have been pretty good and the case numbers overall are trending in the right direction. The second thing is that it's an outdoor event, so the transmission is lower. Overall, I'd say it's probably not a good idea to have that many people packed into that that kind of space especially considering a lot of people didn't have beginning math but i think the risk isn't as high as many people have identified but you know that we're definitely not ready for that kind of thing in you know, canada and probably not ready for that kind of thing in most of the united states either
0: so how do you explain the surge that they've been expre- uh that they've been experiencing in the northern states like you said michigan or new york state i guess new york state obviously uh, high density a lot of a uh, lot of population there but um it's do you find it interesting that it's the northern states that seem to be the hot spots now
4: yeah yeah it's a it is an interesting finding and i think some of it to, to some extent does have to do with how the vaccinations have been rolled out in those areas so mm-hmm. a good example of that as i mentioned was eastern michigan a generally rural area where the uptake hasn't been as high and now they're doing their best to try to increase the uptake in those areas as for the other spots in the united states there are some Uh, cases of large gatherings, like the spring break example that we heard about in Florida recently, that may also contribute to uh, the resurgence of cases.
0: Yeah, I don't think too many are surprised about Florida. Again, we remember what was going on with with spring break with them uh, a few weeks ago, and and I guess in a sense uh, that was uh, predicted. What are your thoughts on Canada being on track to surpass the United States in the number of COVID cases relative to the population?
4: Yeah, it's a it's a very unfortunate milestone. Um, it's very unfortunate that that's the case, and it, it goes back to the vaccination. Because the United States did such an amazing job, since even going back to December, when they were very very quickly ra- vaccinated all their healthcare workers, they didn't even even have like a, a graded approach like we did in Canada. They just went out and vaccinated all of them very quickly in December, and then they went out to the population very quickly starting in January that made a gigantic difference. That that made all the difference in the world. And so with Canada not having the access of the supply uh, vaccines like the United States did, plus they all had a very good, generally speaking, public health rollout as well. I mean, the access, the drive-throughs, all those kinds of things were very well done. All of that means that Canada is now faced with a third wave, but whereas many parts of the United States are not.
0: Uh, You talked about uh, the graded approach here in Canada. Many are debating, you know, who gets it first, who should get it next. Uh, uh, You know, should it keep going down in ages of of five-year increments uh, in in the older ages, or should it go to essential frontline workers uh, also extending the dose to four months? These aren't discussions we have unless there's a shortage of supply.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. In an ideal world, we would have maybe a very short graded approach, but not one that's strung out across several months. And yeah, and that's all because of supply, especially the the one you mentioned about the spacing out of the vaccine doses. In other parts of the world where supply, especially in the United States or in Israel where supply was very good, they don't they didn't need to have those kinds of discussions because it was generally uh they had a good supply to be able to vaccinate people very quickly with both doses.
0: Yeah many are asking you know what's the what's the time between doses in the United States and it's 21 or 28 days it's th- that's never been an issue for them um we heard from uh, nasi again uh the national advisory committee on immunization uh in regard uh to the uh, second dose and that they've reaffirmed that it is safe uh and still effective Uh, the vaccines after four months, uh, because there was certainly lots of concern about, uh, although we have uh, vaccinated those in long-term care twice, uh, those in the older demographics, not necessarily so, and having to wait four months. Your thoughts on uh, Nasi reaffirming this?
4: Yeah, it's a very challenging decision to make. They have to balance out not just the benefits to an individual who's getting vaccinated, but to the entire population. Their aim is to get the cases down as fast as possible to provide as many as much benefit to everyone it is it is good that they recognize that there are some subpopulations that may not respond as well to one dose and should have their dose should have the second dose come, brought uh, sooner and so uh, many provinces including Ontario are making those kinds of exceptions for some groups so that they can get their doses uh, you know not having to wait for four months, I do hope that with a better vaccine supply, the four months won't actually be four months. Maybe we can get down to three months if people can get the vaccine doses much, much sooner because of supply improvements.
0: Are you concerned that we're going to uh, have this discussion? We're going to be in this position again three to four months from now as there's, you know, uh, perhaps a shortage of those for the second dose. Uh, you said that Nassi and I saw the press conference yesterday, NACI said, uh, as more supplies come in, we expect it to be less. Well, unfortunately, we've heard that before, uh, which is why one of the reasons we are where we are. So, um, yeah, your thoughts?
5: Yeah,
4: it's a good question. The, you know, a lot of it is hinges on the, the releases from the federal government about what they predict the supply to be over the course of the next few months. Their current projection is that these plans will pan out and that we won't need to do things past four months, that we'll be able to have supply for a second dose at that point. So, you know, there were some unforeseen situations earlier this year where vaccine was delayed, but aside from that, specifically the the delay from Belgium that came in January due to the plant shutting down, outside of that, generally speaking, the news has been more positive in terms of getting more supply, especially in the last two or three weeks, when we're hearing that we're going to get more supply in April and May from Pfizer and Moderna. So it seems so, like it's all positive so far.
0: So you don't think that they, we will be in the second, the same predicament when it comes time for those to get their second dose, uh, that there'll be a shortage and a scramble for the second dose.
4: Based based on the current calculation, it doesn't appear that way. Of course, there right. can always be some some instances where some delay occurs for some reason. Plus, there is always a chance that we're going to get more doses from other from the United States as they start to, uh, you know, get to a higher level of vaccination in their country. So far, it looks okay, but again, there's always going to be unforeseen situations.
0: And you bring up a valid point. As other countries finish vaccinating their citizens, uh, obviously they'll be more inclined to share this uh, after they've finished doing what they need to do.
4: Yes. Um, but unfortunately, in that case, Canada will be kind of lumped in the same group as other nations who haven't had as good supply. But we do have a lot of deals, a lot of contracts with various suppliers. So hopefully that pans out for us.
0: What do you think the summer months are going to be like? Let's say July, August.
4: You know, it all depends on what happens in the next few weeks. If we see a good response to this lockdown, and we should be in a pretty good position in July, August, similar to last year. But if the lockdown takes a long time to work, you know, and we hope, you know, two to three weeks would be where we start seeing an effect. If it takes longer, then this is going to bleed over into the summer months where we're still going to be in pretty high levels of uh, restrictions. So by the end of April, we should have a better sense of where we're going to be in June. It's just that with the variants, we, we haven't had experience in Canada yet with these variants on how effective these lockdowns that we've used in the past are going to be against this.
0: If we had been vaccinated sooner, variants wouldn't be an issue, would they?
4: Exactly. And that's exactly what we're seeing in various parts of the U.S. where um, the cases are co- are coming down in many parts because the vaccination is so prevalent. That's exactly it.
0: So, uh, what about the? uh, You talked about the lockdowns, obviously uh, in in effect as of uh, Monday, or sorry, as of midnight today. uh, Earlier today, Uh, your thoughts on 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 will this work? Will this be enough?
4: Yeah, we hope that it will be. I mean, if we go, if it's to the same extent that was in January, we anticipate that it should work, but. There always has to be that up, that possibility to go even further. Um, the thing is that this time around, it's likely people are not going to be adhering to the lockdowns as well as we had in the past. If you link back to March of 2020, the streets were practically empty and you know subways practically empty. People took it very very seriously. If we have a lockdown that is on paper as good as that, but, but not just on paper, but in practice, as well adhered to as that one, then we anticipate there should be a very good effect from it. The big question is how well are people going to respond this time around, given that it's our third lockdown, our third emergency order. So hopefully there is a, you know, people still understand the importance of doing these things.
0: I was We were just having that discussion with my last guest. I remember going outside the house this time last year, and there was an eerie silence. Um, you couldn't hear the, the highways in the distance. You certainly can now. Are you concerned about that?
4: Yeah, it's only human nature to kind of every time, you know, that's, to not respond the same way you did the first time to not take it as seriously. But this is, it's, it's quite unfortunate and ironic, but this is the time when we really have to be taking it seriously because this time around the, va- the variants are more deadly and more transmissible. So if we don't adhere to things well, this time, it's going to result in a much, much more significant consequences than it would have in wave one. We- we're already seeing the beginnings of that with the ICU admissions being so high.
0: What about schools? Lots of debate around uh, whether schools should be closed ahead of March break or, sorry, spring break or after spring break. We've seen Toronto and Peel, uh, you know, with just a couple of days left to go in the week, pull out, uh, certainly Toronto anyway. Um, your thoughts on on this and schools?
4: It was a very unfortunate decision that I, I, it makes sense that it had to be made the thing or the position most people would take is that we should use we should close down schools as a very last resort when we are trying to shut uh reduce cases so schools are so valuable and provide such an important resource to children and their caregivers and their adults that we should be closing other things down as much as possible before we consider school closing the schools but the approach i think that makes sense is that if you're seeing out of control cases schools would be something that you close but only as a last resort so when we're talking about reopening in a few weeks when March break is over, that should be made into consideration of how the cases are trending in the community.
0: Are you surprised that uh, the Toronto and the Peel uh, officers of health made the decision they did do to shut the schools down a couple of days before March break, spring break?
4: I guess they've um, in the past they've made many tough decisions, and it turns out they were right, especially recently when talking about extending the lockdown in March. So I suppose I'm not surprised from that point of view, because in the past, they've made a lot of very smart, very tough decisions. It's not easy to do what they do. So I think in this context, things are really out of control right now. It was the best decision to make
0: it appears these variants uh in the first second wave you know many said that the the schools were the safest place to be because obviously uh the kids weren't getting sick this sort of thing they didn't seem to even transmit it as much however with the new variants there seems to be concerns about how they uh react in kids is that accurate
4: it's true that i mean we shall be we should be looking at this as a relative thing so compared to other high-risk activities indoors it's true that schools are probably less risky than some of those other things, but that doesn't rule out the possibility and the very real likelihood that there is transmission going on. And because variants can um, transmit more easily, it's very reasonable to assume, and it's borne out in some data, that this transmission will also occur within schools and teachers looking after them. That That is a very real concern.
0: What is your message to uh, those in Ontario today uh, as we head into another stay-at-home order?
4: The, you know, It's really tough. Uh, I think it's important to sympathize with everyone's concerns, both from an economic point of view. A lot of businesses are going to be suffering, but also the mental health perspective. The only thing that really is a really key thing to drive home right now is the vaccination, is that unlike our last two lockdowns, especially our first lockdown last year, those were not going to get us anywhere. They were just temporizing measures in order to protect the hospitals, and they worked well. But this time, the lockdown is to get us to the point where vaccinations are sufficiently high. And more than ever, we're we're right at that doorstep. The the vaccinations are ramping up in Ontario. The more people can kind of sit tight and get vaccinated as soon as possible, the better that we're going to be off.
0: Dr. Alan Weisman with us, Infectious Disease Specialist, University Health Network. Doctor, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you so much for having me. Enough of the guests. Now it's time for my opinion. Here's the commentary. Over the decades, do you think too much attention has been given to teacher union demands and not enough to the healthcare industry and its workers? Commercials started airing this week from the teachers union, slamming the Ford government for using the global pandemic to attack Ontario schools. What? Really? Haven't the unions learned you do not play your silly games during COVID-19? Everybody is burned out, including teachers, but also healthcare. EMS, fire, police, and essential frontline workers in every single industry, in every walk of life are suffering, but they don't use the airwaves to complain about their strife and advance their personal contract agenda. After watching the teachers' unions for 40 years bully the government of the day, no matter what the party is, I am personally tired of their selfish antics, especially in the midst of a global pandemic. I, for one, would like to see all of the attention the teachers get paid move over to healthcare workers and PSWs who have been ignored for as long as the teachers have been screaming, it's all about the kids. We all love our teachers, but they are certainly no better than anyone else on the front lines. And especially not deserving of any more time than our healthcare industry and workers. I'm Scott Thompson. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. Uh, found this has, uh, this headline uh, fascinating. China warns the United States not to boycott the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. What's that? If you're not If you don't come to my party, I'm coming after you. You get to my party or you're dead. What the heck does that mean? I can't see why everyone doesn't want to go now. Get in here. You enjoy you enjoy yourself. Um, yeah, A- and I'm personally surprised that we're still not talking about this because it's going to approach faster than you think, and I think that we should all stand up and walk away from this. Uh, let's bring in Charles Burton, Senior Fellow with the Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad at the McDonald-Laurier Institute and is with us now. Charles, as always, thank you so much for the time. I hope you're doing well.
5: Good to, to speak with you scott beautiful sunny spring day but i gotta tell you the, there's no way that, that olympics is going to happen with with any kind of liberal democracies there it's just not happening i mean you know we just cannot go so what we should be doing is trying to come up with some alternate venues for the athletes to be able to compete you know a lot of these people have spent years preparing for this thing and all we got to do is find them a nice rink where they can meet the Czechs and the Swedes and the Americans and so on and, you know, realize their Olympic ambitions. But it can't happen in China.
0: Um, why do you think we're, uh, what are we waiting for here? Because, again, you, you know this train wreck is coming, uh, and we've often talked about this and, and how that affects the two Michaels with the timeline, especially with the Huawei CFO and her case coming to a head around this same time. Uh, this is a train wreck waiting to happen, is it not?
5: Yeah, it is for sure. And you know, uh, our government has, our parliament even passed a unanimous resolution saying that unless the Uyghur genocide um, stops, that we're not going to be uh, participating in the Olympics. Well, you know, chances of them not doing the the genocide is not good. Um, for one thing, you know, if you released all of those Uyghurs from the from the prison camps, it's not likely that they would just. Uh, you know, say thank you very much and appreciate how kind the Chinese Communist Party was to them, there'd be bigger problems. No, I think that this is the point. And, and you know, it, it's it's part of the increasing global tensions leading to the potential for a cold or even hot war between China and the West, because you can be sure that if, you know, when the Olympics does not happen as planned, that uh, that this will polarize the the, the the West and the people in China who will feel that their nation has been insulted by uh, by us um, insisting that they're committing genocide and all these other things they're doing, or that, you know, that we really don't think you should be holding in's favor because there's no basis for it, and so on. So, I mean, it it is a train wreck waiting to happen, and I'm not seeing any easy solution, but I do think that, you know, the fact that we're just letting it come come forward without coming up with any Reasonable alternatives is uh, is is uh, politically irresponsible. I mean we should be thinking this thing through properly, and our politicians ought to be getting together with our like minded allies and and coming up with some way to try and mitigate the the disaster that this that this will necessarily engender unless we start to do things smarter.
0: What about the messaging here from China? Uh, now obviously headlines are designed to grab your attention and the headline is China warns US not to boycott the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing, in Beijing. But, you know, again, that's like threatening someone not to come to your party. Uh, but like that, that alone is not going to sit well with the West. Does China understand that?
5: No, I don't think they do. I think that they can intimidate us. Into as you say, you know coming there and pretending to smile at them as uh, as genocide and these other things are are going on, and you know they they take great exception to the idea that that we have de- have designated what's going on in Xinjiang as genocide, or that you know that that they violated international law and in what they're doing in Hong Kong or you know in general um China's uh, poor behavior internationally in terms of supporting dictatorships and corruption and so on so and espionage everything else that that seems to be part and parcel of the way that regime relates to the west obviously the smartest thing for them to do would be to say okay well you know we hear your concerns and um we'll let a UN delegation go and do an investigation of what's going on there and in Xinjiang and, um, you know, try and, and address the concerns that, that make you not want to come to our country for the Olympics, we'll let Kovac and favor go and so on. But, you know, that's not going to happen because um, they certainly don't want the UN going into Xinjiang and, and, and writing a report about the truth, which is that China is engaged in, you know, a horrendous crime against humanity in in this program of trying to eradicate the, the Uyghur and the Uyghurs.
0: By threatening people who don't attend their party, does this not point out to even those that sympathize with this country uh, in Canada that this is what this this party is this Chinese Communist Party is all about? It's about you do as we say or we threaten you.
5: Yeah, I mean, that is the nature of the of the regime, both domestically and internationally and um... you know i think that they feel if they can get enough people in influential positions in the elite or or among ethnic chinese um... on their side that they're a that they're able to manage the situation i think they they're completely thrown by by the fact that you know canadians continue to be worried about uh... what's going on with michael Kovrick and michael Saver, eight hundred and fifty days after their incarceration that that we won't accept their explanations with regard to, to the Uyghurs and that, and that the people who they have been able to give benefits to in our political and corporate elite have not been able to, to stop Parliament from passing unanimous resolutions condemning um, hostage diplomacy or condemning um, uh, the, the, the genocide in Xinjiang and urging us not to go to the Olympics. You know, I think China just doesn't understand why they can't bully us into line.
0: Has any other country that you know of or any other nation tried to punish another nation for not attending the games?
5: Well, you know, we did have the, the situation with the Soviets when they in, invaded Afghanistan, which impacted on the, on the uh, 1980 games. But, um, you know, China's regime is unique in the sense that they think that they have the power to, to use their economic and political coercion to bend us to their will, and when that doesn't happen then they attribute it to you know our, our evil connection with the united states that is jealous and hostile to china's what they regard as rightful rise to to power so you know it's very hard to challenge that ideology and and uh, you know menacing us over the olympics is uh, pretty uh, you know obviously not 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 in the spirit of the olympic movement i mean you remember when china hosted the summer olympics Uh, way back when, um, 10 more years ago, that uh, the idea was that every world leader should be coming to the 2008 Olympics to, you know, to show their respect for China. And when uh, Stephen Harper didn't go, um, you know, there was all sorts of negative um, commentary about how that was a bad thing. But then when the 2012 London Olympics came, uh, they, they sent the deputy director of of the olympic committee of beijing as their representative none of their leaders went to england as they were demanding all of our leaders should go to beijing so you know it, uh, it's a bit of a, a a game of posturing and and um and intimidation and i don't think we ought to be playing it
0: uh I, can you see any of this getting any better between now and the actual games and and why doesn't canada just stand up and say you release the two michaels and we're not going
5: well, I think we should say that. I mean, I think that that message should be said absolutely clearly. You know, we our Parliament has said a sent a message saying you have to stop the wager genocide. But I think China, because Mister Trudeau and the entire cabinet uh, abstained on that resolution, I think China is uh, pretty confident that it doesn't make any difference. Even though, you know, a unanimous resolution of our Parliament should have some weight in how our government behaves. Don't you think? So I think from from that point of view, um, you know, it's time for us to get together with our allies and make it clear to China that we're not going to that Olympics unless we see some dramatic change in state behavior, which we're not likely to see, and that we will hold our our hockey meets and, you know, speed skating uh, championships in other countries that have the facilities and can host them. I mean, you know, this is a a modern digital world, so we don't necessarily need to have all the Olympic events in one sovereign nation. We can spread it around to where it's feasible to do that. I mean, there's not going to be any meaningful hockey championship if you don't have Sweden, you know, Czech Republic, uh, United States, Canada, and so on attending, and certainly most of the northern nations that are strong in winter sports are clearly not going to be going to Beijing in February of next year.
0: Um, what are we waiting for? When will this become an issue, not only for Canada, but for the rest of the world? When will people start saying, that's it, we're not going?
5: Well, I think it's, it's you know, when, when the public demands that our government show some backbone and actually decide something on this rather than just letting the whole thing fester. You know, we just keep getting statements about, well, from our government initially, oh, it's not a government thing. It has to do with uh, the local, you know, the Canadian Athletic Federations and the Olympic Committee and so on, and we're going to stay out of it. I mean, that's complete nonsense. Our government puts a lot of money into our international participation in sports, and we have the, the capacity to instruct Canadian citizens that they cannot compete in that Olympics. So they're simply trying to defer responsibility. But I think that, you know, Canadian people ought to, ought to say these Olympics are coming up, and... Let's uh, you know, let's let's put our cards on the table and do something to try and preserve the the competition at least, because uh, you know there's no question that that it will be impossible for us to actually go there and and collaborate in in the celebratory event which the Olympics is, and the Chinese will will be manipulating this thing in a way that we can't avoid getting ourselves into positions where we're affirming. Um, what they want from us you know the olympics are supposed to be a celebration of a of a nation coming you know coming out think of tokyo in 64 or seoul in 1988 i mean those are signal events in those countries histories of showing them to become important players on the global stage and that's what china wants out of this olympics and we can't give it to them
0: uh, interesting story. I, I, I want to ask you before we before we leave here. There was a story over the weekend that uh, an advisor to Premier Horgan in British Columbia has strong ties to the Chinese uh, Communist Party. Uh, even uh, quoted in, in in situations where uh, he said that uh, all of the accusations against China and the Uyghurs were lies, um, and and this is all uh, constructed. Uh, uh, narratives and such and such to make uh, the Chinese Communist Party look bad. Um, how much influence over the, the Canadian government or Canadian governments does the Chinese Communist Party have?
5: Enormous influence. I mean there's no question about it that you know that, that allowing a man like this Bill Yi to be putting out this you know completely false propaganda, um having the the association with the senior levels of a of a provincial government is just unacceptable and you know the the BC government was was asked about his status in with the advisory board and he's uh, you know they're not doing anything about it and i mean i think it goes beyond um you know the acceptable bounds of free speech to be making statements that in effect encourage canada to not take action in the face of genocide in accordance with our international commitment to the genocide convention you know so so i, I really think that, that that this is indicative of a serious serious problem and you know we have a an editorial in the and sta- the spectator from jonathan die which you know goes along a similar sort of line um... you know it really should have been fact-checked in my view before publication this guy has run as an Alberta Party candidate um, in Alberta. He, he was formerly a PC Party candidate. Uh, he's a free Hmong Wanzhou enthusiast. And uh, he even ran in 2000 as a Kraytian liberal in Edmonton. So, you know, this is someone who who, who is active in trying to penetrate all levels of, of power in Canada so that he can put out a, a information which is just not factually based in, you know, in a respected a newspaper like our spectator
0: is socialism in canada moving towards communism i mean is it going that far to the left
5: well I, you know I, I they you know there is a communist party here in canada they they're actually quite well funded they had a terrific endowment and their bethune headquarters is uh, quite a fine building but um i, I mean i am concerned about about uh, some of the stuff coming out of the extreme left where they're where they're supporting uh, the Chinese line on genocide, and and uh, where a lot of their other positions on, on things like um, Venezuela and so on are just ignoring important critical facts with regard to the situation in those places for some sort of ideological purposes. And, uh, you know, I think it's a very small uh, minority of the population that's involved in this kind of cult-like belief that You know, one hopes it doesn't grow. In these days of the Internet and, you know, um, fake news and so on, um, it's hard for people to be able to distinguish what's actually true and what's made up for malign purposes by, you know, by murky actors in the background.
0: Is Premier Horgan in B.C. doing anything to separate himself from this advisor?
5: We haven't seen anything yet, which is shocking. You know, uh, you, you would have thought, uh he would have uh he would have made a a strong a statement disassociating himself from it immediately and he is not which indicates that he needs time to think over the implications which suggests that you know there's really far too much um uh integration of of these uh, forces representing the interests of of a foreign regime china in in the b c government it it it's very very troubling
0: does that mean the influence is already there? The fact that he's not addressing it.
5: Oh, I think the influence of China on our governments—you know, federal, provincial, and increasingly local—is uh, is enormous. You know, they they have um, they cultivate people to ensure that governments don't engage in policy which is hostile to Chinese interests, or you know, genuinely crack down on Chinese influence and interference activities in Canada, or. Cyber espionage, or you know, or or um, seriously raise concerns over uh, what China is doing in terms of the genocide or or malign activities um, uh, in in the third world. Uh, you know, they they've got people they've been cultivating for decades um, who receive benefits from the Chinese state, particularly after retirement, that um, that uh, causes you know key players in our civil service and government to be acting in the interests of a foreign state rather than their purposes being entirely for Canada. You know, the, the former head of, uh, of CSIS, um, um, uh, Dick Fadden, um, spoke about this at length. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that our Parliament really needs to, uh, to address seriously through enacting foreign um, influence uh, transparency legislation that requires people who are in positions of public trust or who have been in positions of public trust to be absolutely transparent about benefits they're receiving from a foreign state and i think that would go a long way to you know to putting an end to to this kind of issue which really threatens our sovereignty and security here in canada
0: charles burton with us, senior fellow with the center for advancing canada's interests abroad at mcdonald laurier institute charles as always thank you so much for the time be well great to speak with you take care fascinating uh column uh from randall denley today for better or worse ford is in charge of ontario's covid battle let him be and this is out of the national post and randall is with us now randall thank you for the time i hope you're doing well i am uh you know i i I don't want to you know spoil the fun in this column but i found the last uh paragraph just summed it up and and i hope you don't mind if i read it Ah, uh, the war on COVID-19 is not nearly over, and someone needs to be in charge of winning it. By default, that's Ford. Uh, it's fair to criticize what he does, but too many other players are convinced they could do a far better, and don't, or could do far better, and don't mind saying so through words or actions. The net result is confusion about who to trust. Um, you know I, we've had this discussion in regard to uh, you know vaccines that are left in freezers I've had supply management people come on and yet we're still hearing these arguments uh, another example of this was with the paid sick leave uh, yesterday uh, finally uh, Doug Ford spoke up about this and said the there are federal programs for this I saw an interesting interview with Thomas Malker just this morning echoing the same thing so So I guess if you're a politician and irritating both sides, you're doing a good job.
3: Yeah, there's way too much politics in this, and I think it it really turns people off because it's hard to know whether people are making a solid factual point or whether they're just trying to gain political points. So that story you mentioned about the the vaccine, I mean, that was pretty obviously federal liberal. Encouraged the story. Oh my God! there's huge numbers of vaccines sitting in freezers. I just, one of the problems is doing. You know, board pointed out. Well, we committed all those over the next few days. So if you have a booking system, and you say to people, come on the state at this time, you've got to have the vaccine. There is no supply of unused vaccine sitting around. But you know, people hear that and then they get mad at the provincial government, which I guess is the goal if you're the federal government, but. You think, in a pandemic, surely the different levels of government could work together. They have from time to time. But now, is it's just getting really bad. And I think that's part of the problem in Ontario right now is that there's way too much politics in this. And the, the sick leave thing is a good example of it. There are some people who think there should be a provincial sick leave program. And as Ford points out, well, look, there's a, a four-week federal program. 300,000 Ontarians have used it. There's seven hundred and fifty million dollars left in the pot. Why would we start another one? Well, because. And because is because if you're a progressive person, you would like the provincial government to do this.
0: Are any other if provincial governments now, doing, doing this, Randall? Randall? Are mm-hmm. any other provincial governments doing this, Randall?
3: I don't I couldn't give you an accurate answer on that. I haven't I, heard I'm not aware of it. But I, I, don't I don't know why they would when there's a federal program, why would you duplicate that program? I mean, his yeah. media event yesterday, you know, he gave the website, just go here. Apply, you know, if you're eligible, apply. And the big response, is, well, yeah, but it could take four or five days to get the money. Well, okay, like, how fast do you think it's going to come? And I, I think the most disturbing type of politicization of this, too, is the medical officers of health and they have their own view of the world. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much a one-dimensional view, I think. Everything here is about health protection. There are no other issues. Mental health, it doesn't matter. Uh, the economy, short-term economic gain, doesn't matter. All that matters is keeping everybody safe, which means locking everything down. You know, when the medical officers of health decided on their own bat to say, "Yeah, we're going to close all the schools in Toronto, All the schools in Peel, all the schools in Wellington County, like based on what? That's completely contrary to the scientific advice that the government's been getting from people who are actually experts in this field, which the Medical Officers of Health aren't. They're not pediatricians. They don't run hospitals. What do they really know about it? But that's okay. We're going to close down the schools. I think that's part of the chaos we're seeing right now in Ontario because some people don't like what Ford's doing so if they can they'll say well we'll just do something different Yeah, or we'll try to impede everything he does because everything he does will be criticized. It doesn't matter if you lock something down well that wouldn't be enough. If you open something up well that would be a disaster. And it's so incessant I think Scott especially on social media. There's certain doctors in Ontario I don't know if they ever find time to see patients because they're on Twitter all the time complaining about the government.
0: Uh, you know, it was it was fascinating, Randall. Uh, just after the Easter weekend, I had a medical academic, one of these high-profile university healthcare people, on, and he said to me, "I've just heard through friends that there's a million and a half doses sitting in the freezer." And again, I used the same analogy that Ian Lee and I talked about from Carleton University about your fridge being full on a Saturday. If that's when you do your grocery shopping, it's going to be full for Saturday and Sunday and then slowly by the end of the week, it's going to run out. And, and, and you know, when I presented that, he just changed the topic. And I'm thinking, you're a medical official. You're the last one that should be saying there's, there's, there's vaccine in the freezer. And if, in fact, there is, as there was because it was delivered on the weekend, you should explain why. And you can't tell me they don't know this.
3: Yeah, there's not much neutrality here. And I think it's.
0: They're using boring. it as a position to hate the government of the day.
3: Yeah, and if, if you're somebody who puts yourself out as an expert, then with that should come some sort of political neutrality. I'm an expert. Here's my analysis based on the facts. I'm not for the government and against the government. Here are the facts that I see. But when people call themselves experts and they pick up every little sort of junk story and tagline and, and just run with it, you know, that I, I heard it from my friend. Right away we're putting science off the table when somebody says, I heard from my friend. Like, okay, one of the experts the province relies on was talking about mobility at one of the earlier briefings. I was looking out my office window, and I saw an awful lot of people walking around on Yonge Street, so I'm concerned that there's too much mobility going on out there. I thought, there's a scientific survey. I looked out my window.
0: Mm. It's Um, discouraging, really. I really think there is a role for opposition leaders now. And it's not winning the next election, you know, and again, a perfect example of this at the beginning of this week, the liberal leader, provincial liberal leader, hashtag check the freezer, Doug, check the freezer, Doug. If these opposition leaders, meaning Andrea Horvath and Del Duca were smart, hmm. they would put their political feelings and, and you can give me your opinion on this, Randall. I'd love to hear it. I, I really think how they could advance their cause the most is to be seen as someone who is helping. Even if you're mildly criticizing, what do you need, Premier? What do you need, Prime Minister? What? Do you-? And keep sort of being the proactive approach, as opposed to standing on the other side of the aisle and just... Wah, 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 wah. I mean, they're not going to gain any traction during a pandemic because the leaders generally do well because they're taking care of everybody, whether it's provincially, municipally or or federally. So at that time, instead of being uh, an opposition troll, why would you not use it to advance your own profile, to advance your own uh, uh, image and character in front of this uh, pandemic?
3: I think that if so programmed to hate the other guy, and that's yeah. what our politics has degenerated to. My side's right, your side's wrong, and I hate you people. I'm going to go after you every chance I get. According to Andrea Horvat, Doug Ford hasn't done one thing right in the entire pandemic. He's cheap, he's stingy. You know, if she were the premier, Scott, they would have had tens of thousands of extra workers hired, and they would have done all these great things and, and all kinds of castles in the sky, but... It just makes the opposition leaders seem small and, and kind of impractical because yeah. what have they ever suggested Did someone look at it and say, oh, that's a good idea. Why aren't they doing that? And if they have good ideas, you know, by all means, don't hold back. But I think we're right back where we were in the first year of Ford's leadership where there's some people who had the thought there, and a lot of them, I think. The guy's an idiot. He would never do anything right. Not why yeah. he's sort of a person. Yeah. So let's just attack him for everything he does. It doesn't matter what. Even now, you know, still in a pandemic and arguably in the worst part of the pandemic, that's still their attitude because that's all they can see is my job is to attack that guy. It, it just, it, it turns people off, I think. And if you look at, you know, you mentioned you look at the opinion polls. The NDP in particular is doing terrible. So, whatever they're doing, and they need to step back and say, guess that's not working, right? We're not connecting with people on this, and you're not going to win the next election by saying, oh, yeah, in the pandemic, the other guy did a terrible job. Of if I had been in there, yeah. it all would have been good. People like, yeah, okay, well, sure, right? But it's going to be a forward-looking election in Ontario, I think, not a backward-looking election that judges pandemic performance and. If that's the big card, then you know Ford's numbers are still high. Even though there's a lot of things to criticize, people still see a, a genuine human being there trying to do his best. I don't think they see that with the opposition leaders.
0: Uh, and let's be honest, Doug Ford's an easy target for the opposition, especially the way he started his term uh, here in Ontario. But he has really change direction. And I, I, and not only have we seen that with the pandemic, but also with the budget. This is the most liberal conservative budget I've seen in, in, in my 58 years on the planet. Um, and, and I think that is really, really irritating, uh, the Ford haters because He's moving from the far right, which is where there's a lot of criticism, and he's bringing it into the center, which I've been screaming for years is where the where the victory is. I, I think I think uh, Canadians are tired of the extreme left and the extreme right, and, and and want a solution in the center. And and to me, this is this is more proof of that.
3: Yeah, I I did find his budget a little bit mushy, partly because they accept huge deficits for years to come and no plan to really do anything about it. Although you know, in fairness they've got time to come up with that plan, but right now they don't have it. But I would agree with you generally. People want a party that's in the center, not too much one way or the other, and is inclusive. It doesn't it doesn't take that stance that, well if you don't agree with me, you're no good. You want somebody who's open to people and their ideas. And I think, you know, Ford has moved to the center. I don't think he was ever very conservative or right wing. The small challenge for him and that though is that PC supporters are not necessarily thrilled with that kind of budget, nor are they thrilled with the the way business has been treated throughout the pandemic, which has really been inconsistent at the very best. And when we had, you know, big box stores open selling, clothes and all kinds of stuff, that was fine. Little guys all oh, too dangerous had to close. They wanted it to be equaled out, so we finally did that. But now in this latest move, okay, I'm still going to treat you equally. You're all clothes; Nobody can sell clothes. (laughs) We'll pop parts of Costco and all that. If I'm the little guy selling clothes, well, okay, but that doesn't really help me. I wanted to be treated equally as in we're both allowed to be open at the same limits. Yeah. If you just shut me down and shut him down, well, we both lose. I mean, right now in Ontario, you can't go up somewhere and buy a pair of shoes or a shirt. It's a little bit ridiculous, I think.
0: So it seems where Ford's biggest fault is or the, the the provincial conservative party is communication. I mean that's something like for example you look at, at, at and and that's one of the things that makes Ford an easy target. Um you know he's not as as skilled an orator as is what the prime minister is. You know, obviously he's he gets an A plus. The prime minister gets an A plus in his ability to 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 draw a crowd and and be a better communicator. Um, compare the two. Uh, is 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 that where this government, the provincial government, is lacking, and is it still working for the prime minister?
3: Oh, I think it has been lacking. Probably because they're a little slow to respond to things. I mean, yesterday he really went after that sick leave thing. He's mentioned it before, but yesterday he really emphasized it. Yeah. And to me that's the fire you want to stamp out as soon as it comes up because it's it's just erroneous. I think people kinda of like his folksy style. He comes up with his crazy Doug Fordisms and Yeah. There, there's an authenticity to him that I don't see in Justin Trudeau. He always strikes me as a, a scripted guy who's probably practiced every speech and every inflection on every symbol. And it's going to be done this, this way, but nothing about him ever seems real to me. He's a smooth talker, but the question is, do you trust what he has to say? That's the issue. I think he's got a long track record of saying things that were subsequently so proven to be untrue, which isn't unique in politics by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't see that so much with Ford. And I think people know him better now. He was a, Kind of a caricature when he came in. Mm-hmm. He's, he certainly got his faults as we all do, but I would say I have a much better sense now of the kind of guy he is.
0: He seems a he's liberal agonizing
3: over all this, too. You know, the shutting down business is not what he wants to do. On that uh, session he had last week, he just looked like he'd been beaten up. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a tough, tough job, and it's a lot tougher being the premier of Ontario right now than it is being. Prime Minister, who really, you know, get had one job. True. Get the vaccines. That didn't go so well. There's an awful lot more moving parts to becoming a, or to being a Premier of any province right now.
0: Do you see the Prime Minister's sweet spot here for an election?
3: Uh, sorry, can I catch that, Scott?
0: Do you see a sweet spot here for the Prime Minister to have an election?
3: It's really hard to call an election in a pandemic where things are as bad as they are and not just seem incredibly self-serving. I mean, there have been some provincial premiers who did it and they got away with it. But I think when things are so bad in Ontario that we've got stay-at-home order, obviously it's not going to be a campaign when there's a stay-at-home order on. I mean, how would your campaign? I just think it's the wrong time to do that. And if, and if his excuse is, well, I've got all these wonderful measures in my budget, but the other parties wouldn't support them, okay, you didn't even have a budget last year, so deal with it, work around it. If he wants to call an election because I, I demand that we spend $100 billion on something, stimulus, I don't think that's really going to get people fired up. I think it's he's like- in a position to win an election at any point this year, but I think if he calls it too soon, it's going to backfire on him.
0: Yeah, uh, obviously he wants one, but he wants the opposition to trigger it, not. Yeah, uh, he does not want to be, so he he won't be blamed for it. for it. Yeah,
3: the last thing he wanted was an election. You know, totally against it, but what can yeah. you do? He was forced into it by the evil opposition parties.
0: And can really we realistically have an election until every single Canadian who wants a vaccine is vaccinated? I mean, that's fall, late fall.
3: Yeah, well, it's certainly not going to be an election like any we've we've ever known. I know from the. You know, the perspective of being a candidate, uh, which, you know, I did a couple of times. Your whole campaign is knocking on doors, meeting people, letting them get to know you, persuading them at the doors. That's what you do. And if you say to your candidates, well, of course, you won't be able to do any of that because of COVID. But don't worry, we got social media and we're going to run a bunch of advertising. I'm sitting there as, you know, Mr. Ordinary Liberal candidate and thinking, whoa, wait a minute, maybe that's okay if I already hold my seat, but what if I'm a new person trying to get in? They don't even know me, I haven't even met them. What am I supposed to do? And I think it's unfair to voters, too, because people expect opportunities to see their local candidates, ask some questions, take the measure of them, because these are the people who represent you. So it's obviously not just, you know, I voted for Justin Trudeau, I'm voting for the guy in my riding or the woman in my riding. I need to know who that person is. I know it doesn't bother this government too much to uh, you know, shave back democracy in various ways, but I think it would be very regrettable to have an election now because candidates, the parties, and the public will all be greatly hampered.
0: Randall Denley has been with us for better or worse. Ford is in charge of Ontario's COVID battle, and let him be. that his, his uh, column in the National Post. Randall, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks a lot.